It was January 2002 on a cold winter's day in Washington, D.C., when three women were being ordained to the gospel ministry of Jesus Christ through the American Baptist Churches USA at the Covenant Baptist, now Covenant Baptist United Church of Christ. There was a huge buzz in the atmosphere as the three women represented a reimagining or a new reflection, if you will, of the Trinity. The service processional was led by African drummers, and once all the participants were inside the church and had taken their seats, there was a liturgical dance which highlighted the affirmation of God's calling on the lives of these women as vessels, instruments of God. As Bobby McFerrin's rendition of the 23rd Psalm was the basis for the liturgical dance, it was clear that this was a new day in the life of the church, or at least in the life of that specific house of God. The ordination service was laden with messages of empowerment and a prophetic call to give witness to God's people that God will never leave nor forsake them. It would be much later on that day when the newly ordained women would have an opportunity to read the multitude of notes, encouraging them to be true to this calling as vessels of an awesome and mighty God, no matter the discrimination and limitations others would try to place upon them. In opening their gifts, they would each receive a newly published book as a gift from two of the pastor's children. Each child had written a personal inscription wishing the new ministers well. The title of the book, King Came Preaching, The Pulpit Power of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. That would be a great resource for ministry and moments like this. It incorporated the rich complexities of Dr. King's life and the deep level of personal investment, which ultimately led to martyrdom. In the book, the dean of the School of Theology at Boston University, while King was doing doctoral studies, said, there are many uses of the pulpit, but mainly mediator and prophet leader. The former, he explained, is conciliating and interceding for and among the people, whereas the latter involves leading the people into new and appropriate spheres of witness in their cultural environment. The dean affirmed that King is a prophet leader, whereas most other ministers are mediators. Yet King is versatile and mediates too, he said. King took the gospel from behind stained glass windows and placed it on courthouse steps, the dean said. And as I wrestled this week and experienced a fair amount of angst over what approach to share in this particular time, what aspect of Dr. King's life would be valuable? I asked, what perspective is warranted at this moment? I came to realize that I could not present one side against the other role of pastor or role of prophet. For indeed, the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was both. We do a terrible disservice to his life and his legacy when we try to parse them out. He lived fully into both realities. As the book mentioned, as the book mentioned earlier, raises there was never a time when Martin Luther King Jr. was not a pastor. From the moment he made the decision to follow God's call, he committed to the tasks of ministry. He was the epitome of our text today from the Hebrew scriptures as we remember the messages of the prophets 
And the opening verse of the 62nd chapter of the prophecy of Isaiah. The scripture declares, for Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. And for Jerusalem's sake, I will not rest. We are remembering his ministry and his prophetic preaching today because he did not rest, but gave his own life for the cause of making justice a reality for all. The messages remembered by Dr. King on today and tomorrow must not shy away from the heart of his ministry and the true essence of his character. There are many issues today that would have warranted his advocacy and civic engagement, such as the present state of voting rights. Even in his own home state of Georgia, we see this is a big issue. I feel certain that this single issue would have caused him much disappointment. He was a lover of democracy and wanted the United States to live up to its promises, equal citizenship under the law for all of its citizens. He deeply believed in the greatness and the goodness of our nation. He would have recalled all the people who gave life and limb, shed blood or was maimed to secure the right to vote for all citizens. I believe personally, Dr. King would have continued on that same trajectory to secure basic needs of all peoples, black, white, brown, indigenous, rural, urban, or reservation residents, he would have kept on preaching and proclaiming the word of the Lord that only love can drive out hate. Fear cannot do that. As I heard a commentator say last week, for anyone who is preparing to tweet cherry-picked quotes of Dr. Martin Luther King, and yet you are still being an impediment to voting rights? <laughs> you, sir, or you, madam, are a bona fide hypocrite. His was a clear and clarion call for the sake of justice. Yes, he was influenced in the practices of nonviolent action by Gandhi, but his ministry and prophetic power were fueled by his deep faith in the teachings of God through Jesus Christ. As we recently bid farewell to some other great figures, such luminaries as Archbishop Desmond Tutu, Bell Hooks, Lonnie Grenier, Betty White, and even Sidney Poitier, many of them were impacted by his life, his calls for justice, or they shared a mutual impact in terms of their level of advocacy on behalf of others. For instance, Sidney Poitier was one of the financial backers of the civil rights movement. Segregation in the South has been compared to apartheid in South Africa, which Desmond Tutu spoke out against. He saw in others the same humanity he saw for himself, and his preaching was a testament to this. That can be said of Tutu or King. King saw the equality of all God's children as reflecting the same basic needs and human spirit. On one Sunday morning, near the end of his sermon, Dr. King said, you don't need to go out this morning saying that Martin Luther King is a saint. Oh no, I want you to know this morning that I'm a sinner like all of God's children. More than three decades after they were delivered, his sermons still stand as a profound testament to his prophetic leadership of the struggle against racial and economic oppression. The late James Cone, my professor of systematic theology at Union Theological Seminary, did a comparative analysis on Reinhold Niebuhr, who strongly influenced Dr. King, Karl Barth, and Paul Tillich, all of whom King studied. Yet Cone made a powerful distinction. 
He said, it is one thing to teach theology like Niebuhr, Bart, Bart, Tillich, and most theologians in the safe environs of a classroom and quite another to live one's theology in a situation that entails the risk of one's life. Dr. Cohn goes on to add that Niebuhr centered the goal of Jesus' cross as central. It did not translate as realizable for him. Again, I can hear the prophecy of Isaiah saying, for Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. And for Jerusalem's sake, I will not rest. Martin Luther King Jr. had to wrestle with a different reality than the theologians he studied had ever known firsthand. Cone contextualized it in this way. Born in 1929, on the eve of the Great Depression, 30 years after the lynching of Sam Hose, and 23 years after the infamous Atlanta riot, Martin Luther King Jr. was never far from black suffering. While there is more than one interpretation of Isaiah 62, verses one through five, perhaps one way is to recap the promises God made to the people in exile earlier on in the book of Isaiah. Some will be arrested by the damage done by Nebuchadnezzar and will feel that damage cannot be undone. Times were difficult and people were hungry. The people were bereft and questioned whether they were still experiencing God's punishment. The prophet speaks a word of transformation and promises newness. The prophet moves the people from memories of forsakenness and desolation to making a 180 degree turn to remind them of the promises of God. God is not absent, the prophet proclaims. In fact, God has given us a new reason to be in joyful union with our God. So as I think about the legacy and the life and the witness of Dr. King and how it has shaped my ministry, I reflect back on that day, January 12, 2002. And one of the resources that I have so cherished, I can hear the voice of Dr. King and the message of the prophet Isaiah. I have been given and encouraged to never give up on the church because there is nothing nobler than to stand and lead God's people and proclaim the goodness of the Lord. Are you using your gifts for the work of bringing God's kingdom here on earth? Some argue the church is really the last place where people of differing beliefs and backgrounds are brought together to converse, where conservative and liberal can sit next to each other. Friends, this tells me we have a lot of work to do. The message Dr. King lived out and lifted up strengthens us for the journey ahead, but we have to be willing to walk this road together. He would not want us to give up on ourselves. He would not want us to give up on the church. And Dr. King would not want us to give up on God. My best friend and I were a part of that newly imagined Trinity on that frigid cold day in January 2002. Yes, we have been ordained now for 20 years. And to this day, we still share in the hopes and aspirations of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. We know that we cannot keep silent. One Old Testament professor sums it up this way as she recounts the prophecy of Isaiah that we see mirrored through the prism of Dr. King's life. It will not be possible to make me shut up. 
I will talk and not stop talking, proclaim and not stop proclaiming, preach and not stop preaching. I will shake the skies with my voice. I will not pause. I will not rest. For the sake of the precious city God loved and left, I will keep this up until every nation and king can see that Jerusalem has been declared innocent and lifted up to a place of glory and honor.